בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We're back here, uh, ברוך השם, doing the uh, Stump the Rabbi series. Uh, we um, had an event yesterday, ברוך השם, בסייבת דשמיא. Uh, for anyone that watched the uh, uh, video we posted this morning, uh, the part of the event, ברוך השם. And ברוך השם, we had the merit to have רבי אהרון זאב, שיחיה. Uh, with us and uh, one of the uh, uh, most amazing people I've ever met also uh, not surprisingly but uh, amazingly one of the descendants of the uh, both the Ben Ishchai and Arav uh, Kaduri Aleyma Shalom so uh, and if you see the picture <laughs> we have uh, in our house of uh, the Ben Ishchai and you look at Rav Zev it's exactly the same thing so uh Uh, the only difference is the length of the beard. But Baruch uh, Hashem, uh, always great to see him, always great to see good people. Uh, got to see some uh, uh, some uh, faces I haven't seen in a while, Baruch Hashem. So uh, with that being said, we have our shiur. Uh, the shiur tonight uh, is going to be um, a different type of shiur, uh, a very controversial shiur. Um, not that controversy is something that we're new to, but uh, I, um, the whole point of the shoe is going to be to stimulate your mind and make us realize that without Da Torah, we simply know nothing. Uh, because our mind naturally uh, steers the wrong direction. And uh, not everybody has Da Torah, even if they know a lot of Torah. And uh, well, uh, today's uh, shoe will be one of those proofs. Uh, tonight's show will be for Refua Shlema for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Avi Mori David Ben Esriah, Imi Morati Doris Bat Jora, Orit Bat Ilana, Sarah Bat Sausan. Also for a Atzlacha Raba for Marsha Bat Julie, Ayla Bat Marsha, Samuel Ben Marsha, Sefas Ben Marsha, Alexander Ben Marsha, and Louis Ben Marsha. שאול בן פרזנה, יתרו בן אברהם, אושרי בן דוריס, גל בן דוריס, אלעד בן דוריס, דוד בן אסריה, אמיר בן שאהין, and all of עם ישראל, בעזרת השם, will have a הצלחה רבה, and all the righteous Noahites will have an הצלחה רבה, and everything that they do, especially in their עבודת השם. Brief update on some of the things that are going on. Uh, we have, uh, ברוך השם, lots and lots of boxes. If you're seeing back boxes in the background, And packaging stuff, that's because, Baruch Hashem, the, the Kiruv store is uh, pumping out boxes like it's free. <laughs> and and uh, that's, the, that's the inside joke in our house, that, uh, you know, there's so many boxes, it's like it's free, when, you know, obviously it is free. And uh, Baruch Hashem is free. Uh, so uh, if you haven't ordered uh, some, of, uh, some copies of my notebook or... Um, Uh, or some of the CDs or some of the other things, go to the Kiruv store, kiruvstore.org, get some stuff to uh, give out in your community. We've run out of some, uh, some uh, of the products we have. Bezat Hashem, we'll get more soon. Uh, my personal book, we only have a few copies left. Uh, maybe a hundred or less copies left. Uh, so that's, uh, that's almost done. Um, just let, letting you guys know if the um, if the Facebook goes down again, 
I'm not going to, if, if the Facebook goes down again, I'm not going to redo it again because then I'll be in the middle of the lecture. Uh, so if you want to see the lecture live, you'll have to download the app or go to bh.live, bh.live, and you'll be able to watch the lecture live. The reason why I did the whole Facebook live again now is because we, hasn't, we haven't officially started the lecture, so I'm not in the middle of an idea. Uh, but uh, to do this whole thing I just did, it took five minutes. While in the middle of speaking is not going to happen. Uh, okay, so, uh, like I said, the, the Kiruv store, Baruch Hashem, is going good. We have, Bezat Hashem, good news coming next week. We're, we're getting our uh, orders of uh, Rabbi Ephraim's uh, new book. Some of you guys that have uh, reserved your copies, Bezat Hashem will get them over the next couple of weeks uh, or sooner. Uh, so that's one. We have actually a couple of new products that will be added to the store next week. That's one. Second thing, um, this whole uh, disaster with the Ephraim Goldberg evil empire is continuing. We're, we're fighting tooth and nail. We're trying to do whatever we can. A little bit of a different strategy than we used in the past. We learned from our experience. Uh, and uh, tomorrow night we're going to be on a... Bezod uh, Hashem is... Uh, Stay tuned, but it's almost uh, definite that we'll be on a uh, radio show uh, tomorrow night. And uh, you'll be able to tune in live when I get the information. I'll send it out. Uh, you'll have it. Uh, we'll be interviewed to discussing this particular uh, uh, situation with Ephraim Goldberg and the whole missionary situation. So that's uh, that. Also, other things are in the works, but I'd rather talk about them once I have them in my hand uh, rather than, uh, you know, waiting for them. Many people did not believe what I said about five years ago when I warned the Boca Raton Synagogue by first approaching their leadership, led by a heretic named Ephraim Goldberg. You've obviously uh, seen this disaster that's happening at Boca Raton Synagogue right now, uh, where uh, a very big mistake is being made by the leaders to bring the number one Catholic missionary in the world. If you just type in his name, Matthew Kelly, you'll immediately find his whole life mission is to make everyone Catholic. Make everyone follow what the Torah says is 100% Avodah Zarah. Every single house in the Roperaton Synagogue neighborhood got a missionary letter with a DVD in it. The very same thing is happening right now. You continue allowing Ephraim Goldberg and the rest of his staff to stay on their job. You are supporting idol worship. They're bringing a missionary again. Ribono shel olam. What do you mean? They're bringing a missionary again. On January 11th, the Boca Raton Synagogue is hosting what they're calling South Florida Night to celebrate Israel. You can find this on their website, brsonline.org. You have three keynote speakers. Surely, Ephraim Goldberg has to have a stage. It's his place after all. They're going to give some honor to the keynote speaker, the ambassador, David Freeman, which was a, a former U.S. ambassador to Israel. So far, not necessarily a problem. I wouldn't necessarily highlight a ambassador in my shul, but you want to do it, by all means. We don't have a problem so far. Where do we have a problem? When the other keynote speaker, when the other partner in the whole event is a person that lives in my backyard here, 
person by the name of Pastor Mario Bramnik, President, Latino Coalition to Israel. Pastor Mario Bramnik, for all intents and purposes, seems like a very nice guy. He probably is a nice guy. But unfortunately, to him and to us, his beliefs and his life's work is problematic according to our Torah. Not saying it in a nice way. Why? Mario Bremnik, he is the president of the Hispanic Israel Leadership Coalition. He was a speaker for the Israeli American Council. He's very politically connected. He has does a lot of work to connect himself to the land of Israel. But aside from that, his main gig is that he's a pastor. And Pastor Bramnik has a church. And this church is called New Wine Ministries. And New Wine Ministries does not confuse anybody by making them think that they are your simple Catholic church. Rather, no. They say on their own website, in the welcome page, we are a church with a divine design to advance the kingdom of God in our neighborhood, our county, our nation, and the nation of Israel. We are a church with a passion to evangelize, train and equip believers to attain their purposes and call of God in their lives. Pastor Bramnik is a missionary, a very ambitious missionary that has his primary focus on the Jewish people, just like their other evangelical Christians have one of their main core beliefs is to evangelize the Jewish people to believe in Jesus. This is the reason why their promotion, their events, their their teachings have become much more similar, or at least in the looks, to Judaism than they were in the previous generation. Perhaps one example on Pastor Bramnik's website is that he's about to have a Hanukkah Christmas celebration. Now, if you ask his great-grandfather, did his church celebrate a Hanukkah Christmas celebration? I assure you, the answer would be no. If you look up the Christian books from two, three, four, five, six hundred years ago, and you ask any of the pastors and the priests and the popes and whoever else, did you have a Hanukkah Christmas event? It's like, what do you mean? Like... A Hanukkah event to kill Jews? But that's what you're calling Hanukkah, like a joke? No, 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 like a Hanukkah, like you're celebrating Hanukkah, but also Christmas, like the unification of the Jews and the Christians. They'll look at you like, what What do you mean? Why? Why would there be a unification of the, of the Jews and the Christians? This is a relatively new invention. Now you would think, oh, this is very nice. Unity between the Christians and the Jews. Should be good. We live in America after all. We live in England. We live in Australia. We live in most mostly mostly we live in foreign lands. 
Shouldn't there be some type of friendship? Sure, friendship, yes. Unity, no. Now, Pastor Bremnick, for his beliefs, for his beliefs, he's doing good. In fact, I would love to have Pastor Bremlick on our team. Because if we can find rabbis that believe in the one and only God and the one and only Torah and forsake the New Testament, the Quran, and all of the other teachings, if I could have people as passionate as Pastor Bremnick, I bet you, within a few years, Mashiach's coming. Why? Because passion like this, dedication like this, is very hard to find. But what do we have? We have Ephraim Goldberg that brings the spiritual enemies into our own backyards. People that their job is to convert our people to their beliefs, that's who we have on our team, so-called team. Now, Pastor Bramnik is doing good for him, bad for us though. The problem is, Rabotai Karim, is that the idolatrous nations are preaching their false beliefs as if they're true. While many of the rabbis that have the truth are preaching it like it's false because they're either scared to tell the truth or they're simply so confused by money they forgot what the truth even looks like. We have a church, a pastor church in uh, the Broward County, Fort Lauderdale area. And uh, years ago, we would always have um, a night honor Israel or, or, you know, some special event. And maybe seven years ago, we partnered with the Jewish Federation locally to do a joint Christian Jewish event combating anti-Semitism. And that was really the start of our journey. I invited uh, then uh, Deputy Foreign Minister Danny Ayalon, uh, Robert Stearns, our Congress people. We had pastors, rabbis. Our first event, I think we had about 2,000 people at a, um, a university assembly. And, and, and it, it was amazing. And it was uh, from there um, that um, we had a major event. And then the next day we had a pastor rabbi symposium of about a hundred pastors and rabbis. We, um, from there, I felt was birthed um, several initiatives that then went literally global since then. We started with South Florida because we have uh, a, a lot of Christians, Hispanics, and, and Jewish people. And my, my main thing is just let's bring everybody together and let's work together. And out of that, um, was birthed our pro-Israel agenda, which now is through Latino Coalition for Israel, um, as well as a pastor rabbi Torah studies. So we started meeting uh, on that <clears throat> every month, one month in uh, a church, one month in a synagogue, really for the most part talking on areas of commonality, on how much we do agree on, uh, instead of differences and so forth, and how we can build and learn from each other's community and establish a great relationship. It was a small group, about 15, um, still meets to this day. I have delegated the leadership of that. And uh, as you know, we actually did two major pastor rabbi symposiums on theological 
powerful dialogue uh, with the last one with 200 people. And we had, you know, different denominations, Christian denominations, but we also had um, um, uh, rabbis from Orthodox, conservative, reform backgrounds together, um, um, studying the Torah together. And it, it was pretty amazing. And unfortunately, Rabotai, we have a serious problem. Why do we have a serious problem? Because Pastor Bremnik is about to come to Boca Raton Synagogue, give a nice speech, become friends with some people in the community. Says Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that one who kills a body here in this world is much less of a sinner than one who causes another Jew to sin. Because he is killing both his body and his soul. Even if the murderer was murdering bodies for 210 years. And the one that's murdering a soul is murdering it after a single speech that could take five minutes. That person that caused the person to sin after giving him a speech for five minutes or allowing someone to speak heretical thoughts, heretical ideas, idolatrous beliefs. That person is a much greater sinner and thereby worse than even Pharaoh. Um, what else? Uh, lastly, we have a couple of days left to the uh, cyclical year according to the Gregorian calendar for people that uh, you know, use their uh, donations not only for merits and you know mitzvot, but also for tax purposes. This is the time where uh, you know to donate. But we also have a very big campaign that we're trying to make it big. Unfortunately, uh, a few people uh, have uh, you know I guess uh, not been able to donate. But uh, this is the time to donate. You go to bhyeshiva.com, bhyeshiva.com, and that's the campaign to donate for. Okay. Uh, with that being said, we have uh, Parashat Vayera. Uh, Parashat Vayera is a continuation of what we started last week, the exodus uh, of uh, Am Israel from uh, Egypt. Uh, of course, uh, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu is uh, someone that we can talk about from uh, the beginning of the world to the end and still not have enough to say about him. He's uh, just a... Uh, extraordinary person that we really uh, don't have a concept of who Moshe Rabbeinu uh, was. Uh, needless to say, uh, we don't have any concept of who our sages were. But for whatever reason or another, it's a um, uh, view today that people that uh, perhaps know how to speak, maybe even mention a few sources from time to time, give some good stories, automatically are compared uh, to some of the greatest uh, sages that we've had, either in this generation or previous generation, uh, people that have never uh, even completed the Shas or the Rambam or really anything of uh, significance, uh, you know, could easily find themselves debating the uh, the early sages, uh, the you know, and, and quoting things and misquoting things. In the name of the Rambam and the Ramban and the the uh, Tosfot and Rashi, and simply just doubting the sages or comparing the sages to themselves, and uh, really one of the things we're going to learn today, Bezot Hashem, is uh, how uh, the ideal 
the ideal position for a person to be mentally uh, is to understand that in comparison to Gdoleado, whether those Gdoleado are the current ones that we have in the world or of the previous generation, needless to say, of 500 years ago and 1,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago, uh, or, you know, we talk about our forefathers. Regardless of where you go, even if you're talking about the Gedulado of today, the ideal uh, position for a person to be in as far as mentally is to understand that they are a nothing. They are a nothing. They, uh, they don't know anything in comparison to them, even if you know a lot. Even if you know a lot, uh, in comparison to the sages, we know nothing. And, and the reason why is because they think differently. And today, Bezal Hashem, we'll try, to, um, we'll try to show an example of that in the real uh, life uh, situation that's happening in the world today. Uh, the whole uh, parasha about Chaim Walder uh, and uh, the, uh, the accusations, the, uh, the judgment, the suicide that followed... And, uh, of course, the uh, conclusions that uh, so many have been in a hurry uh, to, to discuss. Um, and uh, we'll see that if, uh, you know, if we look at things based on the uh, Da Torah, based on the opinion of the Torah, uh, they're not quite uh, so conclusive, in fact. Uh, in fact, you may be surprised that uh, the overwhelming majority of the public opinions that have been discussed about this case are outright wrong, uh, according to the Torah. Uh, even if they've come from good people, smart people, people that know a lot of Torah, that have been learning Torah for a long time, uh, and uh, you'll see that uh, according to the actual Torah itself, and, and, and the, uh, uh, they're, they're wrong simply wrong and it's uh, again uh, it's not necessarily an insult on anybody this is how the Torah works this is uh, part of it now of course everything that uh, we uh, we see in the world today is always connected to the uh, weekly parasha and uh, we see that uh, in Parashat Vayera we have uh, several places where uh, the Torah talks about Fear of heaven. Uh, one time, uh, I remember uh, learning this from uh, Rav Yosef Mizrahi Shichye, where uh, years ago I heard this year where he said uh, one of the things that we learn uh, from the Torah is not just the stories, not just the laws, but also the language of Hebrew. And uh, we learn, you know, everything in, in the, the holy language. And one of the things we learn is that uh, everything has an opposite except Yirat Shamayim, meaning that uh, if you have, you know, tall, short, dark, light, uh, fat, skinny, all these different uh, things that every language has. But when it comes to the issue of uh, fear of heaven, if you ask somebody what's the opposite of fear of heaven, uh, they'll tell you what uh, I myself thought and most people think, the, the opposite of fear of heaven is uh, no fear of heaven, lack of fear of heaven. Uh, but that's actually wrong. Why is it wrong? Because we see in uh, this parasha, parashat Vayera, that in the uh, the plague of uh, hail, uh, it says that the uh, Moshe Rabbeinu gave the warning to the Egyptians, and Ayare uh, Dvar Adonai Paro, 
הניס את עבדה ואת מקנהו אל הבתים, ואשר לא שם ליבו אל דבר אדוני, ויעזוב את עבדה ואת מקנהו בשדה. It says that whoever among the servants of Paro feared the word of Hashem, chased his servants and his livestock to the houses. And whoever did not take the word of Hashem to heart, left his servants and livestock in the field. So we see here that, you know, this is in essence supposed to be a, a, a statement where it's supposed to say both sides. So it says a person that had fear of the Hashem, Listen to what Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, warned about in regards to the hell coming and went inside because Moshe Rabbeinu specifically warned, whoever is going to be outside is going to die from the Egyptians. Whoever is going to be outside from the Egyptians will die during this plague, whether it's animal, man, whoever it is. So those that feared after already getting hit, you know, six times, those that feared heaven by now, when inside, they figured, why, why do I need to be outside? Uh, he, his, his God has been killing us already. Uh, so I'm going to go inside. They took their animals, they took their servants, and they went inside. But then it says, and those that did not take the word of Hashem to heart, stayed in the field. Wait a minute, shouldn't it say, those that didn't fear the word of God? No. Why? Because there is no such thing. There is no such thing as not fearing God. Because anyone that knows what God is, immediately fears Him. That's what we'll uh, learn in the uh, Parashat B'Shalach, where it says that uh, uh, Am Yisrael saw the, uh, the, uh, the Egyptians dead, and then they saw the, uh, uh, the hand of God, and how God did these great things, and immediately it says they feared and they believed in Hashem. Meaning that as soon as they recognized the significance of Hashem, Immediately they feared him, and then they had emunah and Hashem. Meaning that emunah cannot come before fearing Hashem, because you cannot fear, you cannot believe in Hashem, you cannot have emunah and Hashem without understanding what he is to a certain extent. And as soon as a person has any concept of what Hashem is, immediately they fear him, because they understand that this is not your body. This is someone that's in control of everything, including you, including the cells in your body, including whether you'll succeed, whether you'll live, whether you'll die, whether you'll have kids, everything. And anyone that's normal and pays attention is going to be fear- afraid. Hence the reason why there is no such thing as not fearing God. Literally, what there is, is someone that doesn't take things to heart. Los sam live. What does it mean, los sam live? Simply, the only reason why he doesn't fear God is because he's not paying attention to the details of you know, God being in the creation. He's blaming nature for it. He's blaming, blaming scientific uh, knowledge for it. He's blaming all types of things for, for what God actually does. So therefore, he doesn't think that God in this is connected. That's the reason why many times people will say silly things like, you know, me, uh, me and God understand each other. Uh, he accepts me, I accept him, but even though I don't fulfill the mitzvot, and they feel fine with themselves. They think that they have this personalized relationship with God, and God is simply going to punish everybody else except them. Even though they've never read the Torah itself, or they just simply decide to do the opposite of the Torah, but God understands their limitations. These are all ridiculous things that nonetheless happen every single day because people don't pay attention. They don't take the word of God to heart. So 
this is one of the places where we see the uh, teachings of how significant, how important fear of heaven is, where in essence, it's either having fear of heaven or losing a person's life. Another interesting thing is that they, uh, in the end of the parashat, Fayera, it, a, uh, par- a paro says uh, something very interesting. He says, Chatati apam Adonai atzadik v'ani v'ami arashayim. That uh, Paro says that I, uh, I'm the one that uh, sinned against God. God is the righteous, and me and my nation are wicked. What's the response that Moshe Rabbeinu uh, tells him? He says, He says to him that, um, He says to him, uh, And as for you and your servants, I know that you're not yet afraid of Hashem, God, Hashem our God. You're not afraid. He just said he's wicked. He just said that uh, he made a sin. But Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm not buying this bluff. I know you're still not afraid of God. Now, the question is, is Moshe Rabbeinu trying to make Paro one of the Avrechim in his kolel? Is Moshe Rabbeinu trying to convert Paro to Judaism? What does he care if Paro is afraid of God? Why does he even care if he's afraid of God? Or say, listen, just free us and uh, go live your life, we'll live our life. What do you care about freeing? What do you care about fear of God? The key to understand here is that Chazal teach us that a person that's not afraid of God is always a potential murderer at all times. A person that does not have Yerat Shemayim, you're not allowed to be in a room alone with them. You can't trust them. Why? They could potentially murder you. Which, which is the reason why there are all types of different rules of how to treat certain people, deal with certain people, stay away from certain people. And the more Torah a person uh, learns, the more they understand that these rules are literally for your own uh, life's sake, for your own protection. Now, you see that the parasha, like the rest of the Torah, is constantly teaching the same foundational principle, the same foundational rule, the same foundational mitzvah, which is the fourth mitzvah on the list of mitzvot of the Rambam uh, lists out of the 613 mitzvot, which is fearing God. Constantly teaching. But yet you have endless amount of people ask the same question week in, week out. Why are all of your lectures scary? Why can't you just teach wonderful things like God loves us? Why can't you just talk nicely like all the other rabbis? The answer is very simple and it's always the same. Anyone that does not teach you about fearing God is not teaching you Torah. They're teaching you something that is potentially part of Torah, potentially similar to Torah, potentially the opposite of Torah. But Torah, it's not. Why? Because as you can see, we're not structuring the shiurim. I don't prepare a shiur. I don't have a script that I'm reading. I have some books in front of me. I have some things that I want to say, but I don't have like an actual script. I don't even have an idea of what I'm going to say beforehand. Simply put, every place in the Torah that you look, whether it's the Gemara, or the Shulchan Aruch, or the Rambam, or the Chumash, or the rest of the Tanakh, or the uh, Sifre the Chasidut, Sifre Musar, Anything and everything you look at, if you actually read what's being said, there's constant teachings that are scary. Why? Because life is scary. In fact, even without the Torah, 
Anyone that has eyes, ears, and is simply a person that operates in the world realizes that life is scary. Reality is scary. But the good news is, is that once you learn about what to be scared of, then you know what not to do. Then you know how to stay away from certain things. But if you simply live in some la-la land, ignoring the uh, the uh, the uh, the things that are not making you feel all all gooey inside, like a Care Bear or something, you know, you're avoiding anything that uh, you know distorts your illusion. Then what ends up happening is that you become the most vulnerable people in the world. Hence the reason why you have a you know multiple keilot that uh, consider themselves religious, yet have invited Christian missionaries into their community. And when you tell them this is wrong, they look at you like you have five heads. Like, why is this wrong? Why can't we just be friends with our Christian brothers? It's like saying, why can't we best friends? Why can't we be best friends with Hitler and Eichmann and uh, Himmler and uh, perhaps even Dr. Mengele? Why can't we just like exchange letters we maybe we should do a yard site for them. And you say, no, why? The Christians are not killing us. According to you, they're not. According to Judaism, they are. But perhaps you don't know what the difference is. This is some of the things we're going to try to discuss today. Why? Because if we are going to continue operating in the world without Da Torah, without the opinion of the Torah, we're not really going to get very far, Rabotai. We're only going to get to a horrible place, unfortunately. You know, the, the, the Holocaust, the Spanish Inquisition, the pogroms, the, uh, the destruction of the first and second Bet Migdash, the constant uh, disasters that have happened to our nation, didn't happen to our nation because we were doing so great and serving Hashem so wonderfully that He just wanted to give us, you know, a massacre. Every single time we went against God as a people, it eventually culminated with a tragedy, a very, very big one. No nation in history has suffered as much as the Jewish people. Other nations that have suffered typically have been eliminated from the world. They've, no nation has suffered as much as the Jewish people. And the Torah promises that that's what will be. If we follow the Torah, we will prosper, we will have great things. But if we don't, we will have disasters unlike any other nation. And this is literally a promise in the Torah. Look at Parashat Kitavo. It specifically says these types of things. So the point being is, is that if we do not go to the Torah, we don't go to the opinion of the Torah, we're not really going to get very far. Now, sometimes people think they do have the Torah, but their the Torah happens to always be similar to their the self, their own personal opinion. And their own personal preference. So how do you know whether something is Da'at Torah or not? First and foremost, that someone that really has Da'at Torah actually said it. Uh, and second, and it agrees with Allah, agrees with everything. And second of all, is that the even the learning, the teaching, the understanding of it is full, full of Yirat Shemaim. If it does not have Yirat Shemaim, if it does not have fear of heaven connected to it, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Why? Because the foundation of the Torah is fear of heaven. And anyone that is, is, has an, out, an inkling, an inkling of real knowledge that is Torah-based has to have fear of heaven. It's, it's, it's not a, uh, a, a, a suggestion or anything else. 
And quite frankly, the more you learn Torah, the more you realize this. In the beginning, you thought it's a good thing to aspire to. As you continue progressing, you realize that you really never had anything until you got to it. And even when you think you got to it, you're not really sure you really got to it because a week later, a month later, a year later, two years later, three years later, so much has changed that you realize that when you thought you got to it, you really actually had nothing. Because there's so much more to fear than you realized you know, a few years ago when you thought you got to it. And the more a person knows Torah, the more they know how much they have to fear in this world. But unfortunately, Abutai, in the world today, there is a lacking in a lot of different places. Our job is to try to bring light to certain issues. Whether those issues are going to tickle your fancy or not doesn't really make much of a difference. Whether it makes us more popular or not doesn't make much of a difference. Like someone made a comment or sent a message saying, do you know how much more popular you would be if you did not go and bash other rabbis? You know, this is an interesting a, 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 a comment because it assumes that I actually want more fans. It assumes that I want more likes. It assumes that I want to be liked. It assumes that I need to be liked. What I need is to share, to learn Torah and do my best to share it. Those that want to learn with me, you too will be blessed like the countless people that have been blessed as a result of learning Torah. It has nothing to do with me. Anybody can do this job. Just simply dedicate your whole life to it. You know, pretty much take every single thing that uh, of this world and throw it in the garbage and dedicate your life to helping people and learning Torah. You want to do it, you can do it. It's, it's really not uh, a, uh, something that's impossible. It's just that not everybody's willing to do it because most people are addicted to things that, Baruch Hashem, I'm not. But it's not something that you can't do or anybody can't do. Everybody can do this. It's just that most people are uh, living a, a life that uh, is a little bit uh, more you know, uh, 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 self-centered, let's just say that. So the key is to understand is that we're not looking for more students, we're not looking for more fans, we're not looking for more likes. We're looking to learn Torah, to share Torah, and Be'ezrat Hashem, as a result of those things, Hashem will send us an endless amount of people that have similar desires. And those people will benefit as a result of it. Simple, and of course we benefit as a result of doing Kiruv and uh, the, the Olam Abba and everything else and even this world, but the point being is is that we're never going to do a lecture just because it's going to get people to like us. This is the world of effort. This is the world of manis. This is the world of all of the other Rishayim. Where they go uh, uh, you know, astray in their, in, their, in their Torah career, if you want to call it that, is when they start looking for popularity. That's when you see them starting to go off where the original good direction they were on, you start seeing them go off the direction. And I could name a million different things that uh, I've seen in my life, both in the business world and unfortunately in the Torah world, of how people that started off good, started off good, went in the wrong direction at some point. Why? They were looking for likes. They were looking for popularity. And unfortunately, anytime somebody follows that type of path, they're doomed. They're simply doomed. So, Baruch Hashem, what we're looking for is to hopefully one day learn some Torah. Hopefully one day we'll know some Torah. That's it. That's all we want in life. And 
Bezat Hashem, if, if people want to do it with us, Benchavod. Now, of course, part of learning Torah, part of teaching Torah is defending the Torah. It makes no sense to learn Torah and just keep it for yourself. It makes no sense to love the Torah and let it be desecrated out in the open by wicked people. So, of course, part of it is the wars. That's why the Torah itself is called the Book of Wars. It's, it's, it's a pasuk in the Torah. It's a Book of Wars. So part of the Torah is fighting for the sake of the Torah. Not because God needs you to fight for Him, but rather because God wants you to fight for Him. Why does He want you to fight for Him? Because it shows you He love. It shows love. Simple. Your, 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 your wife doesn't want you to, uh, uh, to go fight another guy that uh, embarrassed her in public. She doesn't, you know, it's just not like uh, she needs you to go do it. But if you did it, you know, she wouldn't necessarily go against it. Why? Because it shows that you care for her. A, a, a relationship that does not have some form of jealousy in it is a dead relationship. That's what the Gemara says. There has to be some jealousy in a relationship, both from the wife's side and the husband's side. So when we look at Torah in the right way, we realize that there is no other choice. This is what it is. And when we see that the Torah constantly talks about fear of heaven, fear of heaven, fear of heaven, punishment, this, that, the other, constantly, constantly talking about all these different things, and then you see that you're, you're almost alone in the world because very few uh, speakers speak this way. And it makes it seem as if you're the crazy one, but then again, you ask, Big you ask Dayanim, you ask Doleado, you read their books, you read the Psakalacha, and you see, I mean, it's, it's either everybody in the, that's ever been a righteous person is a crazy person, or unfortunately, uh, the opposite. The opposite. So, this Rabotai is one of the beautiful things about Torah is that we have a documented. Uh, a lineage, a documented teachings unlike any other nation to such an extent that anything you want, any question you can possibly have, there is a place in the Torah that discusses it in detail. In detail. And if a person really toils, they'll find the answers. Unfortunately, most people are used to, uh, you know, just simply their, their level of toil is sending a text message and saying, can you show me the source for XYZ? As if they're going to go look up that source even if you give it to them. The reality is someone that's truly looking for an answer knows that the last thing you want to do is go ask somebody for a source for it. The first thing you want to do is go try to look for it yourself. Why? Because on the path of looking for it, you'll find a bunch of other treasures. Anyway, Rabotai, we have a, 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 a connection in the parasha of the teachings of Yirat Shemaim. Teaching of Yirat Shemaim, constant mention of Yirat Shemaim. Now, why is the parasha that talks about Yirat Shemaim, about, about fear of heaven, connected to the whole issue of the Chaim Walder debacle? Because this is what's going to decipher whether you accept everything that I'm about to tell you or not. If you have fear of heaven, you will not have any questions at the end of this year. Even if you heard the exact opposite of what I just said, you will not have any questions of what's the right opinion. If you do not have fear of heaven, the Bezal Hashem, just you could send us your name and we'll pray for you. Maybe it's for Refuash Lima because there's something wrong with you. Because it's it's clear as day, it's clear as day that uh, that this is uh, what the uh, Torah is uh, is is teaching us now. 
the whole issue that uh, has happened has transpired and we're not going to go into all the details there's just no I'm sure everybody has heard of this but I'll give you brief details Chaim Walder was a extraordinarily successful author of children's books wrote something like 80 books or more uh, and uh, pretty much a, a, the top in the market uh, and um, he was extremely well known extremely well liked extremely well publicized but over the last year or so there's been a uh, campaign against him where uh, something like uh, maybe six or eight months ago a uh, certain Bedin uh passed out a uh a uh or at least people in the, in the name of that beddin uh passed out some type of uh, poster online saying that his books are no longer welcome now when we called that beddin to see why are the books no longer welcome we uh we didn't get an answer and the reason why is because nobody picks up the phone in that beddin um, i would be surprised if the beddin is even a real beddin uh but when people see things on the internet they assume uh, especially if it has a logo if it has hebrew writing if it has uh something spicy people automatically believe to it to be true and they spread it like wildfire hence the reason of why uh hashem turned the staff of moshe rabenu to a snake because moshe rabenu in essence said lashonara uh unintentionally but nonetheless said lashonara about am israel not uh the not going to accept the uh uh that he's you know that he spoke to uh god so hashem said this is lashonara throw your staff on the floor and the staff turned into a snake uh why why a snake because a snake is a symbolic of lashonara snake bites he has venom and that venom is a uh is is a uh, deadly killer uh same thing with the tzarat that uh, the second sign that Moshe Rabbeinu got, Tzarat, is, is, is the punishment for saying Lashonara. And unfortunately, when people get some of these posts, some of these memes, some of these things that they send out uh, about how uh, somebody is a bad guy according to somebody, people just simply uh, share it and uh, the, the public consumes it like a, uh, with no doubts. As soon as like there is a uh, something out there, they consume it like no doubt. I'll give you a personal example. There was a list of uh, I think ten or fifteen uh, heretical rabbis that uh, that was published. Uh, I don't know a couple of years ago, and uh, from time to time it was updated. Added, you know, different names were added to it. Now I've spoken about some of those, probably half of those rabbis on that list but i never put together that list i never wrote that list i don't have a list i know who's bad that i've spoken against i know who's not i'm not delirious i have lectures i'm a public figure and i speak about these things publicly on a regular basis but for whatever reason or another people assume that i put together the list like i said i have nothing to do in my life and i put together lists and in fact what the truth is is that when the list came out a few people that i know that were sharing this list i told them a million times not to publish the list why it provides nothing other than tension other than cause of fighting it doesn't do anything good there is no mitzvah of publishing that list but of course some people will listen some people will simply ignore they'll say ah rabbi is weak rabbi is old rabbi is losing his mind ah i need to warn the public everybody wants to be the big chassid all of a sudden and they publish the list of bad rabbis as if that's going to create any good in the world 
And best yet, they update it from time to time. Now, again, I don't really care enough about it to do anything, but the point being is, is that everyone assumed, this is my list. Why? Because I've spoken about half of those rabbis uh, uh, that are uh, there, they're heretics and so on. So people assume, and they assume that even the ones I didn't speak about, I also this, and even the, the ones that people add from time to time that I don't even know who they are. That's also me. And people just assume that if they see it on the internet, it must be true. So needless to say, when a uh, poster came out a year ago or so about uh, Chaim Walder and his books not being accepted in a certain community in Eretz Yisrael, automatically I got a bunch of at least a half a dozen or more messages from people saying, look, we have to warn the public. Rabbi, this is your job. Oh, thank you very much for telling me my job. I really appreciate it. Who are you again? Like... A bunch of strangers tell me about my job and how I'm responsible to be the police officer for the world of, of rabbis and I have to warn the public. Ludicrous situations literally happen here on a regular basis. But nonetheless, we looked into it. We made a phone call. We found out the Bed Dean doesn't even exist or simply is not really operational. But the post was very operational. In fact, if there was a real Bed Dean, with that, uh, behind that, that poster, that Bedin would probably become very successful. How, how popular it become. People would use it just because of that stupid poster. But nonetheless, this was the first sign we got from this whole parasha about Chaim Walder. Then, of course, something came out a couple of months ago in the most, how could I say this? The most liberal, anti-Torah, anti-Semitic, a newspaper on planet Earth named the Aretz. It might as well be called uh, Mein Kampf. Uh, Mein Kampf for Jews that hate themselves. And Aretz publicized a story about how Chaim Walder did all types of heinous crimes, pedophilia, rape, adultery, all types, like literally, like the guy apparently according to the article is, and it just got worse as the articles kept being publicized. I didn't follow most of them. Just I saw a couple here and there people would send me that I can't avoid. And just to see what's going on. And literally, they simply turned this person that has written over 80 children's books into a Sav's older brother. Like Amalek, I think, was like uh, more comparable. Some unbelievable. I mean, I don't know how a person can make that many crimes in a lifetime. But apparently Chaim Walder did. Now again, I'm not defending Chaim Walder. I'm not going against Chaim Walder at this point. What I'm telling you is what happened in the media. Now, of course, they had a rabbi behind this, a rabbi that's uh, you know relatively well known uh, because of his father, and they uh, who uh, said, yeah, he's uh, he did this. We have a uh, uh, testimony from victims. We have testimony from victims. For, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's what they said. Okay. Now, this already sounded strange. Why? Because that's not really how the world of Torah works. Like if there's an issue, whether it's pedophilia or it's rape or it's adultery or any of these things, it goes to a bedin. It doesn't just go to the media. But that's something we're going to get to in a moment. Not never hiding it. You're supposed to go to a bedino. You're not supposed to go to the media first. Like, why are you going to the media first? It was already strange from day one. Then shortly later, when questions started coming up from different rabbis, the very same Rabbi Eliyahu said, oh, you know, it's a, uh, we've already known about this issue for years. 
So then you ask a new question. Wait a minute. If you know that this Chaim Walder is, that's writing books for children is also murdering every single one of them, both according to the Torah and according to pretty much reality, then uh, why are you waiting for years? So the whole thing sounded strange from day one for anyone that read it. Now, if that wasn't enough, I mentioned to you guys in the shoe, whoever watches them on a regular basis, that a couple of book outlets uh, publicized they're no longer going to carry the Chaim Walder books. They simply decided to ban him. Now, if you are operating based on the laws of the land, the logic of society, nothing seems array. Nothing seems bad. In fact, people applaud those bookstores, those publications, the rabbi that was in the secular newspaper for spreading the word. This sounds like a, wow, finally Judaism is changing. They're not hiding stuff anymore, according to the liberal-minded. But if you're thinking about it in a doubt, the opinion of the Torah, not only are you wrong, you've just committed a much worse crime than any of the crimes that he's been accused of. Why? Now, there was a lot of stories that spread, and one of the things that we were looking for, and Robert Fryman worked on this extensively, is an authentic source. And every time you would get to a place, you'd see that this is just hearsay. No legitimate proof. Somebody said that they heard something, that they saw something. They heard, oh, recently, after the suicide, there was a recording. Oh, so the recording, according to the Torah, it's not a source. It's not a valid source. And we'll get to that in a moment. But society and most people today are already on the thank God he died camp. Already on the uh, oh poor victims. We should start a charity fund for them. Uh, Already on a good job for all the people that went against it. Everybody's already on that train and already asking the question, oh, what do we do with the books? On one hand, you know, he was a monster. On another hand, the books are pretty good. What should we do? What, that's a unlucky question, Rabbi. And I've gotten a half a dozen of those questions too. You know what the question is? How did you, how do, how do you know he was a monster? Well, I saw it in the media. Where, where media? What do you mean you saw it in the media? You have a psych dean? Yeah, yeah, no, the, the, the newspaper said that the bed dean judged and ruled that he is a monster. That he's guilty. The bed dean ruled that he's a guilty. Well, do you know how a bed dean works? Well, I don't know. Bed dean works. Uh, I don't know. They just decide something. Well, if that was the case, we wouldn't have Judaism. We'd have communism. Bed dean does not work where they just simply decide. There's no such thing of a bed dean without the person. There's no such thing. And that's one of the things that people are not realizing. Everything that's out there in the media today about this case is not according to Allah. It's not according to the Torah. In fact, it's the opposite. 
Now you're going to say, yeah, but you know what? He killed himself. So that is already admitting guilt. And you'd be wrong. Why? We'll get to that in a moment. So already I'm giving you guys a bunch of different things that already should be for anyone that's been following this parasha should drive you crazy. And you should already get some feelings in your heart, perhaps some of hate, some of uh, anger. Please do me a favor, invite your friends. Perhaps they could learn something too. Now we were looking for an authentic source before, during, after the suicide. During meaning days before, after we found out about the suicide. We're looking for an authentic source. After the whole thing came out, after the, uh, you know, a lot more came out after the uh, suicide, where the uh, the Bed-Din said that they ruled that they have at least 22 uh, confirmed cases, a recording of uh, what they say is Chaim Walder saying that if this story comes out, uh, he'll kill himself, he'll shoot himself, um, which again, to society at large that, does, that has is absent-minded when it comes to Torah, this seems like perfect evidence to convict somebody to simply do everything that happened. But according to the Torah, none of this is valid. We called the Bedin. Bedin doesn't want to talk. Why doesn't the Bedin want to talk? They want to talk to Aaretz. They want to talk to the secular newspapers. But to a Talmud Chacham, they don't want to talk. Why? I guess they're too busy with Aaretz. They don't want to talk. We called some Dayanim. We called some Chachamim. We spoke to some of the Gdolei Adol. We spoke to people with experience. We spoke to people that have an extraordinary amount of knowledge. And I'm going to tell you some names. Everything is verifiable. Everything is sourced. And each and every single gadol that we got to was baffled that this whole thing was even happening. Now, right now, there are in essence three conclusions generally that people have arrived to. Conclusion number one, that he was a criminal. A criminal of the highest extent. Rapist, adulterer, uh, pedophile, uh, I don't know, everything and anything you could possibly throw in there. That's conclusion number one. Some people are even disappointed in me that I haven't spoken about this already. It's like, Rabbi, what's going on with you? Maybe you should stop focusing on the missionaries. Talk about something really important. What? Chaim Walder is a rapist, a pedophile, murderer, killer. Okay, buddy, relax. Quite frankly, didn't even want to talk about this. But it seems like something needs to happen for the sake of learning Torah. It's the first conclusion that people have. Worst person on planet Earth. Since perhaps maybe Hitler. Second conclusion. That he was a tzaddik and targeted by people and uh, simply a victim of his own success. That's second. Although not as common, at least doesn't seem like it according to the media and the general consensus that I see out there. But there are some people out there who say, no, he didn't do any of these things. He's a victim. 
those first two are not going to like the shoe. The third is someone who simply doesn't know what to make of it. They're going to like the shoe. Somebody doesn't know what to make out of it. They don't know whether he did it, he didn't do it, what to do, how to do. They're looking for the truth. They're going to like the shoe. Why? If you're seriously looking for the truth, you'll find the resolution. Now, there is a precedent in a in the Jewish law. It's also in secular law that is called Cheskat Kashrut. Cheskat Kashrut. The original source of it, or one of many sources in the Gemara Masechet Kiddushin, page seventy-four A, or seventy-four B, or seventy-two B, seventy-two B. Uh, you also have it in a few other places. Cheskat Kashrut is in essence innocent until proven guilty. If you see a religious person, doesn't make a difference if you like them or not. You have to assume that they are innocent. And not just assume that they're guilty. Assume that they don't have something. Like someone would ask you, listen, I don't know, I saw this person, it's religious, but I saw them, uh, uh, you know, driving on Shabbat. Can I hate them? Can I make fun of them? Am I allowed to say Lashon about them because they're Mechalel Shabbat? Wait, if they're known as a kosher person, you are actually sinning by thinking those things. You know what you're supposed to be thinking? Different creative ways of why this person is not sinning, but actually doing a mitzvah on Shabbat by driving. How could it be a mitzvah driving on Shabbat? Perhaps there's somebody in the back seat that they're taking to the hospital to save their life. Perhaps they are in a major life risk situation. They're saving a life. Perhaps they're a doctor. If a person is known as a kosher person, you are actually obligated to give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, but Rabbi, I saw that uh, they eat and uh, I don't know, I didn't see them do a blessing. If they're a religious person, you have to assume that the lacking is on you, not them. Why? The fact that you didn't see them doesn't mean anything. The fact that you didn't see them do the mitzvah, do a blessing, uh, whatever it is that you think that they're missing on, doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. If they're known as a kosher person, you have to give them what's called cheskat, they have cheskat kashrut, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, one of the places that discusses this is the Chafetz Chaim. Chafetz Chaim, people love to talk about, oh Rabbi, don't say that it's Lashon Ara. Quite frankly, I think a very, very small minority of people have ever actually read a single halacha in Lashon Hara. Chafetz Chaim probably is upset at most of these people that keep mentioning his name in the name of Lashon Hara when they don't even know what they're saying. And we'll see how this parasha of Chaim Walder is a perfect example of that. Now in Klal uh, 8, Seif, Hey, the Chafetz Chaim says something that we've taught before, which is that Kol Le 
כל האיסור של לשון הרע הוא דווקא על איש שעל פי דין תורה הוא עדיין בכלל עמיתך. דיינו עם שאיתך בתורה ובמצוות, אבל אותן האנשים שמכירן שיש בהם אפיקורסות, מצווה לגנותם ולבזותם, בין בפניהם ובין לא שבפניהם. The entire prohibition of לשון הרע applies specifically to victims who the Torah considers to be your brother, your fellow Jew, someone who observes Torah and mitzvot, but to those persons who are known as apostates, it's a mitzvah to degrade and humiliate them, either directly to them in their presence or not in their presence, for whatever sins they were seen committing or, sin, or sins that were heard that they committed. So the whole issue of Lashon Ra is only referring to people that are frum. That's number one. Now, furthermore, in a same Klal 8, Seif Zayn, Vedaod, Deim Muchzak Ba'ir Lerasha, Mipnei Sha'ar Inyanei Averot, Shemutar Avuram Leganoto, גם כן דינה אחי, ואיזה הוא מוחזק? כל שהוסכם מפני אנשי העיר לרשע, עד שלא ייפול להם בו ספק, מחמת שמועות הרעות שיוצאות עליו, תמיד מענייני ניאוף וכיוצא בזה, דברים שנתפשט ידיעת איסורן בכל ישראל, אבל אם, אם יצא עליו כל בעלמא בלבד, אסור לסמוך על זה, לגנותו. חס ושלום. ואפילו להחליט בלב אסור, וכמו שביארנו לאל בכלל זין. ואף שהראתי מאוד להעתיק דין הזה מפני בעלי הלשון, כשישמעו על אחד שמץ, דבר, שמץ דבר נא, תכף יחזיקו את האיש ההוא למוחזק ברשע, ויגנו אותו, ויתלו את ההיתר בספר הזה. עם כל זה לא השתמטיב, כשאמרם, זיכרונם לברכה, בבבא בתרא, דף פ"ט, על רבן יוחנן בן זכאי, אמרה ממאי, קרא אמרה, כי ישרים דרכי אדוני וצדיקים ילכו בם, ופושעים יכשלו בם. ספר הושע, י"ד י. Translation. Understand, even more, if this person is established in a city as a rasha, it's a wicked person, for a variety of other sins, for which it would be permitted to denigrate him, The law is also the same. Please see the necessarily relevant details as brought down in the Be'er Ma'im, the, uh, that uh, is commentary here. Now, what's the definition of a established, meaning that this person has to be known as an established as a, in, a, in a city or known as a, uh, as a wicked person? And the answer is, Yeah. The answer is, it means that society has concluded that this person is a rasha beyond any doubt. Because of the many bad stories constantly circulating about this person concerning adultery and other illicit affairs that he has had. Behavior that is commonly known throughout the Jewish society to be sinful. But if there was only a generalized rumor circulating about this person, It's forbidden to rely on it as authentic and to degrade him. God forbid. It's even forbidden to personally conclude an opinion about him inside your heart. As he explained in Klal 7. And then the Chafetz Chaim says, 
even though I was apprehensive about writing this law, because those people who do speak Lashonara, that when they hear the least impropriety about somebody, they'll immediately seize it and uphold the victim to be an established Rasha and demean him, to justify demeaning him, and rationalize and justify their actions by relying on this leniency as a basis for their victims, for their, uh, for their actions. Nevertheless, I did not refrain from stating this as the sages have taught us in the Gemara Batra, page 89b, regarding Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, that was quoted, the, uh, that quoted the prophet uh, Oshea's words, that all of God's ways are just, righteous people will go in his ways, and sinful people will trip and fall. So, here, we see the Chafetz Chaim giving us some food for thought. What's the food for thought? If the person is known as a Rasha, established a Rasha, then go to town on this guy. But how do you know if he's an established Rasha? If it was proven that he is an adulterer, a rapist, uh, all types of immorality. But if there's no proof, it's simply a rumor, you're not even allowed to think negatively about him. Even to think negatively about him, you're not allowed. Why? He still, according to all opinions in the Torah, still has cheskat kashut. To think anything ne- negatively about him, whether during his life or after, is isur Torah. And all of those people say, oh, okay, so that means that he has to be established wicked. So Chafetz Chaim says, I was worried about putting this law. Why? Because some people are going to say, listen, this guy is bad. I just know it in my heart he's bad. I know it in my heart he's bad. Yeah, but you can't say it if you don't have proof. No, no, no. He's known as a Rasha. They're going to actually force the guy to be a Rasha in their mind and in the other people's opinion in order to give themselves a rationale to justify their uh, their uh, their you know their lashonara. Now, the Gemara in Masechet Moed Katan, page eighteen B says in the name of Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi says, "May my share be." like the one who is being suspected or accused, and he's really innocent, because his reward is huge. And Rav Papa says, they accused me, and they didn't find anything because I'm innocent. He was proud of this. That he has a share in the world to come, he has a very significant reward, because he was accused. Moshe Rabbeinu was accused. David Melech was accused. A lot of people were there, the righteous were accused. And uh, Rabbi Yosei and Rabbi are talking about, oh, how great it is the reward for someone that's being accused of something and really they're innocent. Now, but they're also teaching us, how do we know if it's really accused, but it's really legit or it's not a legit, because you could say, listen, hey, uh, we're never going to know what we have, you know. So there's a few signs. One thing, the Gemara says, if the sound of the outcry, if the sound of the outcry, people complaining, people saying all these bad things, 
if it eventually stops, meaning there's a lot of rah-rah, but whatever, a month later, two months later, a few months later, whatever it is, it stops. Chamim say that's already a sign from Shemaim that the guy's really innocent. Meaning that if the guy is really guilty, it's just not going to stop. Maybe it'll take breaks, but it's not going to stop. We'll keep coming back. From Shemaim, HaKadosh Baruch will keep sending more signs to different people to rile this guy, to rile it up, to expose this person. Now the sages said that These rules of Lashon Hara and whether it's a uh, the guy is innocent as a result of the outcry stopping or continuing this specific these specific rules are for people who don't have enemies. That's what the Gemara is saying. But with enemies, if people have enemies then they are the ones that publicize this Lashon about them. It's all coming from them. Meaning, there's a different set of rules for people that are in position of power, position of success. There's different rules for them. Why? Because they have enemies. Now you can say everybody has enemies. Yes, everybody has enemies, but people that are public figures, important people, successful people, Every normal person will know and agree that they have a lot more enemies than your average person does. Now there's a responsa called Koach Shul by uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Shul. And he says that a rabbi, a rav, with a rabbinical position is certainly one who has haters. So anything that is said about this rav or his wife or anything that's connected to him is typically made up by his enemies. And therefore, it's just hearsay. If it's just hearsay, it needs to be ignored. Meaning, you have a rabbi. That rabbi, he's either a rabbi of a community, rabbi of a city, rabbi of a country. He's a very big public figure, uh, successful in one way, author, whatever it is. And has a pretty large circle of influence. And one day, somebody comes out and says, you know that rabbi, is cheating on his wife. You know that rabbi, he, uh, one of those. You know that rabbi, this. No, 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 rabbi is that, oh, the guy, rabbi's wife and his, they're not really married. They just pretend. Like, you know, Bill Clinton and his wife. Unless you have proof, Forbidden to say such things, needless to say, but even more so, the mitzvah here is to ignore it, as if it was never said. If there's no evidence that proves it conclusively, ignored as if it's air. Why? Surely it came from his enemies. And that's a psychalacha. It's not a oh suggestion, you know, guide for life. Now,
One of the Dayanim that uh, we spoke to about this issue, very extraordinary Talmud Chacham, at times speaks on behalf of the uh, Hidabut organization, the Rishon Lezion, Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef, Rav Ruven Zakaim, Shechem. It's one of the tzaddikim that gave me an askama for my sefer. One of the things he said, and we're going to go into even more things that he said, but he, one of the things he said, that if a, if a person brings a psak din, like a bed din, brings their psak din, their conclusion of some type of case, to the media, rather than dealing with the ramifications of this issue, there's something wrong. It's just not something, there's something fishy here already. It shows clearly that there's some type of bias, some type of obsession, something is not normal here. And clearly there is a problem with such a psakdin. Now someone sent Rav Ephraim the Chuvota Ma'arsham. In a section, Evan Ha'ezel, 133, it asks a question. Is a woman that is accused of immorality, cheating on her husband, all types of horrible, heinous crimes against Hashem and also against her family. And she refuses to go to the Bedin. Refuses to go to the Bet Mikdash. They tell, listen, you're accused of adultery. And in order to prove your innocence, you have to come to the Bet Mikdash. The Kohen Gadol will give you the bitter waters. You drink it. If you're innocent, you'll get blessings from the Kohen Gadol. That if you have ugly kids, your kids will be beautiful. If you have stupid kids, your kids will be smart. If you don't have kids, you'll have kids. And so on and so forth. You get the best blessing in the world. If you're guilty, then that water is going to make a miracle, a spectacle for the rest of us to watch. You're probably not going to enjoy it so much. What's going to happen? You're going to blow up. Not so much fun. There's a whole process, if you read Gemara Masechet Sutta, it's a whole process, a very difficult process that takes place before they make her drink the water because they really don't want her to drink the water if she's really guilty because they don't want to kill her. they rather just say, admit it, and then you can just go on your way, that's it, you're, you're, you'll be released from the Ketubah and so on. But the point is, is that if you admit it versus getting caught, it's two different things. Just like if somebody stole, if they return the money before they got caught, they just have to return what they stole. But if they got caught, they have to return double. So the question that the Maasham asks is that this woman is accused of all types of immorality. And she refuses to come to the Bedin. Is her refusal considered as if she is admitting that she's guilty. And he brings, the Malsham brings the the Rambam. The Rambam in Ilchot uh, uh, Sotah, chapter 3, the second halacha, 
where he says that a woman says, I don't want to drink the bitter waters. And therefore, there's no way for you to know whether she is guilty or not 100%. So what does the Bet Din do? What does the Bet Mikdash do? She's released without Ketubah benefits. Where despite the fact that she never admitted to being impure, she never admitted to being, to, to cheating, to doing the uh, immoral crime, she still loses the Ketubah because, because she, uh, she um, if she was pure, if she really didn't commit any crime, then she wouldn't fear drinking it. So clearly, she's not ready for for this, and she's not rejecting it for nothing. But you can't say for sure that she sinned. But you can't say that she didn't sin. Meaning, you don't have 100%. Why? Because with the bitter waters of the Beit HaMikdash, there's no playing games here. This is guaranteed. So on one hand, you can't know for sure. On the other hand, you can't know for sure. So the question is, what do we learn from this? We're not going to the Bet Midash to go drink bitter waters. What do we learn from this chuva? Why would somebody send this chuva to deal with the whole Chaim Walder case? He says, look at the end. The ending is, okay, this woman potentially cheated, potentially she didn't cheat. We don't really know 100%, but what we do know for sure, she refuses to drink the water. That's what we know for sure. She's not not drinking the water for no reason because she knows that she's losing. She's she's getting a a divorce without getting a ketubah. She's back on the streets with nothing. So now it's not exactly a great condition. If she was really 100% innocent, she'd just drink the water. She wouldn't be afraid. So obviously there's something wrong here. Maybe this, maybe that. But we can't say 100% she sinned. Either way, what we do, do learn from this is something that's relevant to the Heimwalder case. Would a normal person go to a bed dean if the bed dean has already decided that they're guilty? Before he even came there. Would he, if you had said, listen, we want you to come to court. Why? Because you're guilty of murder, rape, this, that, the other thing. But we need to stamp it on a piece of paper that you came in so we can finish, complete the procedure. Would you go? No normal person would go. Why? You've already concluded I'm guilty. You didn't even ask me a question. You don't have any factual evidence. What do you have? A few people said something to you or a lot of few people. That's that's how you concluded? Why would I go? You've already decided. That's in essence what Chaim Walder said. He wrote in the letter that he's going to sue all these people in the Bedin of Shemaim for all their false accusations. In essence, he felt that the reason why he rejected going to the Beddin, that they asked him to come, is because they've already concluded that he was guilty before he came there. Now, is that enough to say, oh, he's innocent? No. Guilty? No. 
So where do we go to get that? Chachmei Yisrael. Chachmei Yisrael, we have to go to them. How do they think? Every single one of the sages we've spoken to, whether it's Rav Gidon ben Moshe, of Yitzchak Yosef, who spoke to Rav Ruven Zakaim, reading what Rav Gershon Ellestein wrote, all of them said similar things. First, why would Chaim Walder, who was connected to the Haredi sect of Judaism, why would he go to an unknown Beddin run by a Zionist? Now there are several Bateddin that are world-renowned, world-accepted in the Haredi communities. These are Beddins that are Ravavadia, the, uh, the, uh, 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 is one of them. I think there's one by, uh, Arav Karelitz. There's other really serious Batedin that everybody knows this is it. They don't care about nothing other than the truth. Recognized by everyone. Why would I, why would you invite me to go to that, to, 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 to some Beddin that not only is not really known, not really accepted, in the Haredi community, and also the leader is very, very well connected to the Zionist movement, which is not exactly an ideal situation to deal with for someone that's a Haredi. Why would I go to such a Bedin? That's one of the questions that the Chachamim are asking. Why would he go to such a Bedin? Why wouldn't, if you really have a case, go take him to a normal Bedin that everybody agrees with, that has a symbol Ashkafa? That's number one. Rav Uven Zakaim had a very serious one-on-one conversation with Rav Yitzchak Yosef. And he wrote exactly what happened. After he told him the whole story with the Chaim Walder, Rav Yitzchak Yosef was shocked. Not only shocked at this particular event, but shocked at the low level of where the Haredi community is today, how there's all these types of immoralities and and crimes and accusations. And he said exactly these words. He said, I'm a small nothing, but we must go back to speaking to people about reward and punishment. To the Haredim, we have to speak about reward and punishment. That an eye is watching an ear is hearing, and that all of your actions are recorded. Who will merit? Who will merit us with such rabbis that have a pure heart that can come and rebuke the community? Like Rav Vadya, Rav Yuda Tzadka, Rav Nisim Yagen, that spoke clearly about Gan Eden and Genom. This is Rabbi Tzach Yosef saying we need to merit people to come speak to us again about the basics. Gan Eden Genom, like his father did, like Rabbi Yudatzatka did, like Rabbi Nisim Yagen did. If you're familiar with these names, it's because we've said these names a thousand times in our lectures. These are Chachmei Israel spoke. 
clearly about heaven and hell. Gan Eden Genom. The Rishon Letzina says we need those people back. No one's speaking about Gan Eden Genom. That's why it's happening, all this immorality. Secondly, he says, we must open a Beddin that's certified and accepted by all of the main sects of the Haredi community. Not because each one has their own. So one Beddin that everybody accepts. It won't be easy and is certainly not going to include every single type of Hasidut. But it will definitely be preferable over the inappropriate judgments that are happening today in different Batedin that are not uh, really recognized. Their judgments of uh, obligating somebody or relieving somebody will be the final judgment. These new Batedin. And from there, they can report these judgments to the authorities, to the police. And help uh, uh, help institute the actual law. If somebody did a rape, if somebody a pedophile, all these different types of things, you have to work with the police. You can't just say, "Oh, listen, we're gonna deal with this internally. No one's ever gonna know about it." No, you have to deal with it. But he says, "But at least now, if we have these types of batidin, at least uh, the the mainstream Haridim will have some peace of mind." that they can rely on it. Surely it's going to have some naysayers that go against it, but mainstream Haredim, most Haredim are going to agree with it and have peace of mind as a result of such a thing. And this will also address the unavoidable immorality epidemic that we have in our communities that we cannot ignore. Pedophilia and the like that is considered 100% murder according to our Torah. And as a side note, much of the former yeshiva boys that end up going off to derech has to do with traumatizing experiences such as these. There's proven statistics for this, says Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef. But even there, there are false accusations too. And this new types of Batedin can lower this uh, this too. Not only the crime, but also the false accusations. People say, oh, this guy did this to me and he never touched you. He doesn't even know who you are. Not all of the uh, accusations are true, which a lot of people assume. This case is one of those cases where everybody pretty much jumped on the bandwagon that... He's guilty, he's the worst person on planet earth. But we have to see, do we have acceptable evidence according to the Torah? Which we are almost there. We're almost there, we're going to get to that. But Rabbi Tzach Yosef that's pleading for rabbis to come speak about Gan Eden and Genom says, if somebody can speak about Gan Eden and Genom, clearly I'll put him on the Lavian with me. He has a Station every Motzei Shabbat, he speaks. It's all over the world, just like his father did. So if somebody can speak about Gan Eden Genom, I'll put him on a Lavian with me. That's how terrible the situation is in the world today, Rabotai. He says, 
What's happening with the Bedin? This this but Bedin. What happened with this whole story? This Bedin Sadeh that is publicizing to the media. They ended up hanging the accused. And with all respect to this Bedin involved with this case, there are many questionable actions that they did. One, a Bedin set itself up to speak to the media directly. Already in itself is strange. Unusual for such behavior. We are not a secular courthouse. A bed dean speaking to the media? Unheard of. Unheard of. But not only that, Rabbi Tzak Yosef says, they speak to the media even after the accused is buried when there's no benefit whatsoever. What's the point of saying he's accused, he's, he's guilty, he's not, he's dead. You don't speak about him after he's dead. Nothing, how is that going to benefit anyone? Showing that from just the fact that they're speaking about it to the media, lefty liberal media, after the guy is dead when there's no benefit, that this is a strange obsession that they had. Two, they were unusually quick to conclude judgment. And when the liberal newspaper, Aritz, comes to them and shows fake interest in the religious community, while they really have clear hatred for the religious community, they end up getting to speak with the head Dayan, Arab Shmuel Yahu. This must concern us. I know that some of you are not familiar with how the Bed-Din in the Jewish world works. Anyone that is, is simply saying, yeah, of course, this is the strangest thing. No one's ever heard of such a thing. No one's ever heard of such behavior from a Bed-Din. Forget about what the crime is. It could have been stealing apples from a supermarket. It doesn't make a difference. For Bed-Din to act this way doesn't make any sense. Then we go to another Gadol, Rav Gershon Edelstein, who wrote publicly, the public defacement of Chaim Walder is going to be judged in heaven much worse punishment then he will get, even if he's guilty of all of the alleged crimes. Meaning, even if he's guilty of all the things that they accuse him of, all of those people that publicize what they publicize, talked about it, people shared it, all of those people will get a much, much bigger punishment than he will get. Why? Because Rabotai Karim, someone that you know makes a crime, the Torah speaks about it heavily, you go to Parashat Kitisa, you go to Parashat uh, Kedoshim. Several Parashat talk about how they treat rape and, 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 and uh, uh, pedophilia like it's murder. No less than murder. But a murderer still is, 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 is a person that has Olam Abba. But a person that embarrasses another Jew in public, 
that's a needless a kosher Jew has no share of the world to come. Now again, you say, well, but if he's if he's a, if he really is raping, he's not a kosher Jew. He's not a kosher Jew in that particular sin, but that doesn't give you the permission to make him not a kosher Jew according to everything. Each crime has certain standards, and when I when when a bedin aligns itself with a lefty liberal newspaper that's only looking for ways to destroy the religious community in every way possible to make it look bad clearly there's something wrong here and unfortunately when other religious people and even rabbis speak about this in the same fashion taking the 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 proofs of a newspaper as the proof that this guy is guilty and that we can freely speak against them Rav Edelstein says they're going to get a much bigger punishment if they don't do tshuva. Then he will get even if he's guilty. This is not an opinion. This is Da'at Torah. Furthermore, Rabbutai, the most important thing that every single one of the Gedolim said, all of the crimes, the rape, the pedophilia, the adultery, all of it, are only alleged. None of them were proven alachically. Not a single one were proven alachically by an acceptable bedin. None of them. Which means that according to the Torah, he still had chizkat kashrut. This is why one of the Talmidei Chachamim that wrote about it said, there's nothing even to talk about here. Not only can you keep his books, there's no reason for you to consider anything otherwise. Nothing happened here. There's no, he wasn't proven to be a rapist. He wasn't proven to be a, uh, a pedophile. He wasn't proven nothing. Nothing was proven halachically. Yeah, but what about the 22 women? So what? It could be 2,000 women. That's not how it's proven halachically. Allahically requires him to come to a bedin. Allahically requires actual evidence. And that's one of the things. One of the things that hasn't been shown at this point. Hasn't been shown. What do they have? A recording. A recording of what they say. Is Chaim Walder saying that if this goes out, I'm going to kill myself. Several people, several people that we spoke to. Why should correct? Rabbi Ephraim spoke to. That were extremely close to Chaim Waldo. Rabbi Ephraim didn't know Chaim Waldo. But several people that knew him that were very close to him. Some acquaintances of them. Like some just knew who he was. But knew. Conclusively said. We have no idea who that person is on that tape. It's not his voice. Heard his voice for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I know his voice. It's not his voice. Now to the general public that's getting it from the media, like, ah, see, he's guilty. He wanted to kill himself. Did you ever think for a second that's not his voice? Probably not. Why? Because the whole way that the story has been presented is that he's guilty before you even completed the story. And also anyone that spent a minute, a minute, Seeing what technology is available today, Rabotai Karim, should already know you can make that type of a video, that type of an audio, 
about anyone at any moment. You could literally take any person you want and not only replicate their voice, saying anything you want. In fact, if you have the equipment, you could even make a video of them saying anything you want. And it's been done before. Not only it's been done in Hollywood for at least 25, 30 years. It's also been done in the secular world. It's been done in all types of places and it also has been done in the Froom world. One of the most strange cases that have happened in the last 10 years against a major rabbi is they had a video of the rabbi talking about all types of things that are inappropriate. And people that see, myself included, I saw this video, I said, wow, Ribbono Sha'olam, it's crazy. I can't believe the rabbi is saying this stuff. But Baruch Hashem Hashem had mercy on me, and literally five seconds later, I saw the real video. What's the real video? The real video is somebody else is talking. The rabbi is chewing. Somebody else is talking. Why? Because you hear the rabbi answer him. He's next to him, he's next to him. Both of their lips are moving if you pay attention to it. But when somebody already told you, no, it's the rabbi talking, you're only looking at the rabbi. You're not looking at the other guy. You're not a private detective. You're thinking that the rabbi is talking. But when someone shows you a bigger picture and shows you who's talking, you read their lips, you see nothing that they're saying, he's saying, he's saying, it's the other guy. But they pinned this on this guy and they made a very, very clever video showing the two cases, proving it. Amazing job. But you see, Mamash, how people can manipulate things in any way they want, put anything in anybody's mouth. But yet no one has thought about this in the media, that maybe the tape is not real. Maybe it's not his voice. Maybe it is his voice, but he didn't really say it. Nobody's taking that. The fact is, Rabotai, no one even mentioned yet that if there was really that many cases, because they're saying they have 22 confirmed women with multiple heinous crimes with each one of them and many, many others that haven't been confirmed yet. I mean, this means that this person was literally you know, walking around without any clothes on just to be ready for the next crime. Like, he didn't have enough time to have clothes on. I don't know how he had time to, to write books. That many women, that many crimes, Hashem Yishmael when you have time to eat. But anyway, apparently according to this, you had dozens of, 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 uh, of crimes with at least 22 victims that are confirmed and many more unconfirmed yet for years. No one's asked a simple question that I asked right away, Baruch Hashem. Number one, why did the Bed-Din, the very same Bed-Din that concluded what the conclusion is without having all of the Allahically acceptable standards, why didn't that Bed-Din that knew about this already for many years, why didn't you go to the cops? If you have a murderer in your community murdering new women and children pretty much on a daily basis and you know about this and you don't do anything you're a bigger criminal than him 
How do you know about this? And you know about the victims for years, but you sat quiet like a little nothing for years. And suddenly you woke up two months ago when a liberal newspaper called you. What about the community that you care so much about? How come you didn't say nothing for so many years while he's murdering people, raping them, breaking marriages, a shemishmo kind of criminal you're saying he is? Why didn't you send him to jail? Why don't you, I don't know, kill him? Why don't you do something? Like, it doesn't make any sense. That's number one. Number two, this will connect with you young folks. Why? You young folks know how easy it is to have a camera. Today, everybody is a cameraman. Now, for anyone that says, yeah, but, you know, Israel, it's like a third world country, you're an idiot. Israel is the most technologically advanced place on planet Earth, even more than America. Even more than America. If there were that many crimes, in hotels, in schools, in wherever, not a single footage was caught Nothing, nothing was caught, nothing, you couldn't find a single piece of evidence that you could show the public. The only thing you can show us is a recording that his friends, family, and other people that knew him say it's not even his voice. No evidence, no pictures, nothing. I mean, if there was one woman or two, I say, okay, but you're saying there's dozens of women None of the women have pictures they could put on Facebook. Nobody has a picture on their phone. Nobody has one of those little Kodak uh, pictures that you buy at the store for $5. Nothing. Nobody has a picture of anything. How? How is that possible? Today, people, before they eat, they take a picture of their food. How is there no pictures with so many victims? The truth is, Rabotai, the whole case doesn't make any sense. The whole case doesn't make any sense. And one of the other things that was brought up by one of the Chachamim is that first off, the technology part, the pictures, doesn't make any sense. Because anyone that deals with technology knows how easy it is to forge these types of recordings. Two, multiple people came up and said that the voice is not his. Three, even if a person comes forward and says himself, I raped this woman, he's not believed immediately according to Allah. Why? There are conditions to believing a person. The Gemara in Masechet Yevamot, page 25a, and also is Psak Alacha in the Rambam, in Ilchot Edut, chapter 12, Alacha number 2, says, En Adam Nifsal Al Avera Al Piatzmo. A person is not a uh, proven, uh, you know, uh, cancelled or, uh, uh, in essence, um, convicted on a sin based on his own words. Like he comes and says, ah, I killed this one. Oh, I raped that one. Oh, I just committed adultery with this lady. So, 
Why? I need witnesses. Two witnesses to be exact. Two kosher witnesses. If one of those witnesses is an idol worshiper, Michalel Shabbat, you only have one witness. Testimony is garbage. If you're your own witness, needless to say, we can't believe you. Even if a woman comes and says to her husband, I just cheated on you. He doesn't have to believe her. Why? That's the halacha. If he believes her, he has to divorce her. But he doesn't have to believe her. Why? That's the halacha. Because the Rambam says, He's not convicted until he has two witnesses. So the Chachamim ask, why are there so many stories, but there's no videos, no documented evidence? Where did all this happen? How come it took so many years to finally get to this point? One of the Gdole Ado that Baruch Hashem were close to, Rav Gidon ben Moshe, says, first and foremost, after the person dies, there's nothing to talk about. Whatever happened, happened. There's no way for us to know for sure. But the Torah considers the actions of rape as murder. Yet, the Gdoleado all ask the same questions, including Rav Gidon ben Moshe, saying this doesn't make any sense. He says, never in the history did a Bedin conclude something without the accused being in the Bedin. We're not a secular court. Doesn't work that way. Says the way that this Bedin operated, never in the history such a thing happened. And these are people that are close to the issue. These are people that are Dayanim. These are people that are experts. These are not just like, oh, he read some books and uh, I like it. I follow the news. The Torah treating these types of crimes as the worst crimes. Yet, Gdoleado are not jumping on the guilty train. They're not jumping on the guilty train. They're not accepting the article from Haaretz as legitimate evidence. Why? Because they have Da'at Torah Rabotai. They have Da'at Torah. What's Da'at Torah Rabotai? Da'at Torah is knowing how the rules work, where you consider everything. We'll finish it off with this. Most people say, Da'at Torah, what's the difference between me and Rabbi Vadya? What's the difference between me and the Rambam? Well, we'll give you a little example. Why their minds work this way and our minds work a different way. And when you look at an Alakha in the Shukhan Aruch, you look at Alakha in a Yalkut Yosef, you look at an Alakha in anywhere that you look at, you're thinking, oh, okay, I can do this. Okay. The... Gemara Masechet Kiddush, page 63a, has a Mishnah. And the Mishnah says that there's a person that wants to marry this girl. And he says to her, you are my wife, under the condition that when I show you to my father, he's going to accept that you're going to be my wife. But if he doesn't accept, then it retracts that you're not my wife. Okay, that's the condition. It says, At Mekudeshet. Okay, now let's go 
see my father. Now at this moment, technically, they're considered married. But if the father says no, then it's as if it never happened in the first place. If he says yes, then it, it was already married at that moment. So far, you got me? Okay. So now they get to the father. And, they find out the father is dead. He's dead. So he can't give the opinion. So what happens? What's the conclusion? Conclusion number one, Gemara says, is that it's a, uh, since it was waiting for the opinion of the father, because he didn't want to upset the father, therefore, since the father is not alive anymore, she's considered Mekudeshit, she's considered his wife, everything is good as if the father approved it. Okay. Option number two. What if the the son himself dies? The guy that's supposedly married to this girl, on the way to the father, he died. And therefore the father never saw the girl while he was with him. He only saw the girl moments after the kid died. So what happens to the girl? Is she married or not married? So the Gemara says to release her from all types of complications of the, uh, uh, to be a, a uh, uh, what's called, to marry his brother and all types of uh, issues. We teach him, meaning we influence the father to say, no, 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 I wouldn't have agreed anyway. And let her just go on our way, go on our life, and not be stuck in this situation. And uh, she's not Mekudeshit. Okay, so in our heads, we can figure out these are two logical options that can happen from this issue. Let's say we can think of a third option, which is he gets there and he says yes. He gets there and he says no. So already we have a little less than a handful of options. Let's say we're creative. We come up with another option. Somebody looks at this. I learned the topic. I learned the sugya. No, Habibi, you didn't. Why? If you go to the Shulchan Aruch, you go to the Shulchan Aruch, I'm sorry, you go to the uh, Bet Yosef. To the Bet Yosef by Rabbi Yosef Kaul, same bottle of the Shulchan Aruch. In the uh, section of Kiddushin, section of Kiddushin, he goes over this sugya, and he gives 567 possibilities based on the words of the sages over the last thousand years. He gives 567 explanations of all of the different possibilities that were brought up by the sages with a reason of why this is yes and this is no and a final conclusion. Now if Rabbi Yosef Karo went through 567 possibilities you could go learn it, spend a month, two, three, four, five months, learn all of these different possibilities. And uh, I don't know, consider yourself as if you know this uh, one sugya. Assuming you understood what the hell was going on. On the other hand, if you look at it from the right perspective, you'll know that if he thought of 567 
Then needless to say, the sages before him also thought of them, and even more. And the sages of the Gemara, that mentioned this in the Masechet Kiddushin, not only thought of those, but thought of many more. We, hopefully we got to five. Four we have. Hopefully we can get to five. Rav one time, his son tells a story. They were learning Torah and Shabbat. They were learning the Khatam Sofer, because the Rav was writing one of his chuvot, one of his uh, responses in the one of his farim, and he went over the Khatam Sofer. He said they studied throughout the entire Shabbat, something like seventeen hours. They're studying the writings of the Khatam Sofer, and the Rav Ravadia had many, many chidushi, many insights, many things. So on Motzei Shabbat, he got right into it and went to his book to write. So you'd figure, you study 17 hours of Torah, you had a bunch of different insights, what are you going to do? You're going to write a bunch of stuff. What does he write? Four words. This is what Khatam Sofer wrote. In English it's five. V'chen ketav Khatam Sofer. Four words. So his son, Rav David Yosef says, but Abba, you studied 17 hours. You had many chidushim. Why don't you write some of them? Everybody says, for what? None of them are really changing anything. What? To show that I know something? If, it, if it's in essence the same thing of what he wrote, and it's nothing that's contradicting anything, and it's nothing that's going to bring anything else, why do I need to write these extra words? 17 hours he studied straight, for four words to put in his book. The average person is proud if they learned a lecture for an hour and a half. Rabbi, I think I need a bracha. Why? I think I give a bracha. Oh, why? Oh, I just watched your entire lecture straight. Two and a half hours, Rabbi. I watched it straight. No, nothing. I think I give you a bracha now. I say to myself, yeah, yeah, probably give me a bracha. You watch the lecture for two and a half hours. Study intensely for two and a, for seventeen hours just for the sake of four words. This is what the Khatam Sofer wrote. If Ravadya, one of the Gdulado review for seventeen hours just for four words, and his son says there's something wrong with this Bedin. There's something wrong with this judgment. There's something wrong with people don't talk about Ganed and Ganom. It's leading to these crimes. And other Gedolei Adol are saying, there's something wrong. We're not, we're, not, we're, we're not doing something good. What does it mean? It means, Rabotai, the further we are from Da'at Torah, the further we are, from where we would want to be for ourselves. Rav Ephraim wrote about this particular issue. He says, there's two possibilities, guilty or not guilty, but this Chaim Volder. If he did it, Agmara Masechet Ketubot, page 13b, says, En apotropos l'arayot. We learn from that, no one is above the Immorality. If you don't watch your eyes, you don't protect your bleed, you'll fall. Shemishmo. If he didn't do it, Lashonara, the Kol Shekenot Saat Shemra, Oreg, 
that Lashon Hara and Otsat Shemra, it's a gossip, kills, as the Midrash Tanchuma in Parashat Metzorah says. If he did it, Hashem Ashpil Geim. Hashem brings down the proud. If he didn't do it, If he didn't do it, David Melech says in Tehilim 101, a person that says lies, Hashem doesn't even want to look at them. If he did it, the Mishnah in Avot, chapter 4, Mishnah 21, says that the jealousy, desire, and seeking for honor is what takes a person out of the world. If he didn't do it, if he didn't do it and they're blaming him, he did. The Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 97, says, a person that suspects kosher people is bringing damage to his own to his own body. His, his own life is in danger. If he did it, if he did it, someone desecrates Hashem's name behind the scenes. The punishment is in public. This is in the Pirkei chapter four. If he didn't do it, Yidinu shafchu et adam if he didn't do it, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, says, Our hands spilled this blood. If he did it, If he did it, the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, page 107, says, Someone that is an adulterer, his death is in strangulation, but he still has a share of the world to come. If he didn't do it, if he didn't do it, that same Gemara, that same page says, someone that embarrasses his, his fellow in public has no share of the world to come. If he did it, Mishle 11, Shlomo Melech says, when the wicked die, we celebrate. If he didn't do it, if he didn't do it, then the God of revenge is here, the God of vengeance has arrived. Hashem Yakum Damo. If he didn't do it, Hashem will take revengeance for him. So a person that's smart, if they can't connect to what the Da'at Torah is, will do whatever they possibly can to help themselves reach Da'at Torah. But in the meantime, say nothing. Not good, not bad. Why? If you're not saying what Da'at Torah is, you're bringing a tragedy to yourself. Why? For what? You're not going to benefit out of it. But this is just a couple of examples, Rabotai, of how Da Torah operates differently than a traditional person does. And just because someone is smart, just because somebody knows a lot of Torah, doesn't always mean that they make the right decisions, doesn't always mean that they have Da Torah. Sometimes our emotions, sometimes our 
perception. Sometimes different things motivate us to think. That's why we had to go to Mamash, serious giants in the world of Torah to confirm and we got the same exact words one after another. Same conclusion. And that's why if you have the books, you can keep them. There's really no reason not to. Again, we will never know what exactly happened. But according to the Torah, we cannot suspect that something did happen because there isn't enough evidence to do so. And anyone that does is making a very, very dear mistake and a prohibition according to the Torah.
מברך את הרבנים, רגע, 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 אני מברך את הרבנים, הרב ירון ראובן, הרב אפרים כחלון, אשר יגרו בעזרת השם, שהלכו בפעיון, שעלו מעלה מעלה, יהיה להם ברכה והצלחה, ברוך הוא ימלא בשלות ליבם, לטובה ולברכה, שבכל אשר יפנו, ישכילו ויצליחו, יזכו לעשות כאלה וכאלה, הודיעו תורה לאדירה, אמן ואמן. הוא היהודי הזה, הוא היה מיליונר, סגר את כל הביזנס, אמר אני משקיע פה בעולמה של תורה. איפה הוא גר? בפלורידה. בפלורידה. איפה זה פלורידה? אמריקה. כן, לי